0: space the final frontier these are the voyages of the starship enterprise its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds
2: Enterprise.
0: This is Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Captain Captain Janeway. Captain Sisko. This is Captain Jonathan Archer. Red alert.
2: Photon torpedoes, fire. The official Star Trek podcast. Engage. Engage.
0: Make it so. With your host, Jordan Hoffman. That, sir, is illogical. Let's make sure history never forgets. This is Engage. Shailing frequencies open, sir.
1: We are back, ladies and gents. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome to another episode of Engage. The official Star Trek podcast. My name is Jordan Hoffman. Uh, We're here today uh, with Brian. Brian, how are you, sir, today? Doing good, Jordan. You're not wearing plaid today. No, it's, uh, we have like a half day here, so I always
2: end up wearing just a T-shirt. <laughs> Everyone in the office just does that. It's like If you walk around here, you'll see yeah. most people are much more casually dressed, and a lot of people are wearing just T-shirts. Just T-shirts. No <laughs> pants. Just T-shirts. Yes, well, no, we're here no, no pants.
1: on Deck 44 on the Battle Bridge today. Uh, it, we are recording a couple days before the 4th of July break. Fourth of July this year is on a Tuesday, which means it's like a nine-day weekend. Like nobody's working now. Nobody's going to be working for a long time. (laughs) Just you. (laughs) Um, A lot of things to talk about. We have a great guest today, a colleague of mine, a woman I hold in very high esteem uh, by the name of Stephanie Zaharik is coming. Stephanie is uh, the film critic at Time Magazine, and uh, prior to that worked at the Village Voice, and prior to that worked at Salon for uh, a number of years. Uh, She is a uh, Pulitzer Prize finalist. So, uh, you know, we've had people that have won some prizes here on this show. When are we going to win a prize? When are we going to win a prize? We've had a lot of uh, uh, award finalists and winners on the show. Dr. Lawrence Krauss has won uh, a million science awards. We've had Michael Westmore on. He's won an Academy Award and an an Oscar. Yes, and 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 Emmys. And Emmys. We've probably um, had other winners of important awards on the show. George Takei has been on. He's got to have won something by now. I hope so. Won the award in our heart. Let's put it that way. Yes. So uh, Stephanie's going to come on and we're going to talk about The Wrath of Khan. It's the 35th anniversary of Khan this month. We missed the exact anniversary by a couple of weeks, but this is the 35th anniversary. Close enough. So uh, Stephanie's going to come on and talk about it. And it's, it's the movie that even um, non-Star Trek people know and love. And it really is, you know what, at the end of the day, if there's somebody who claims they don't like Star Trek at all... You can plop them down in front of this. They don't need to know anything. You can get it from the first scenes, and and you probably will love it because it really, really, really is good. But before we bring um, her on, let's talk for a moment about uh, some new news in Star Trek. Uh, This uh, this week there was an announcement um, about Discovery, which is getting closer. They're shooting right now, and they announced um, that one of the directors of the show is none other than Jonathan Frakes. He's going to direct an episode. We don't know which one. And this is great because Jonathan Frakes is a great director. He's directed um, a lot of great TV, including um, uh, The Librarians is his thing, which is cool. Uh, You know, Burn Notice Castle, Leverage, Uh, Librarian 2, episodes of uh, something called uh, One of the Twilight Zones from 2002 and of course directed First Contact one of the greatest Star Trek movies of all time and directed three episodes of Voyager, three episodes of Deep Space Nine eight episodes of TNG so with it he brings I mean, he's a guy in the director's chair that knows Star Trek. You Absolutely. know, The cast and crew are gonna feel comfortable in his arms while he is uh, doing his episode. And it's cool just to bring it back to Trek. It's also funny, you know, um, Frakes uh, is also doing an episode of the Orville. That's Seth MacFarlane's McFarl- homage <laughs> to Star Trek, which is coming out at around the same time, which I think is great. I can't wait. I was talking about this with a friend the other day. There, I mean, it's not gonna happen now, but there's a possibility. I'm not saying this is in any official capacity. I'm mm-hmm. saying I was spitballing with a friend because there's a lot of Trek people involved behind the scenes of the Orville. Uh, it's not just Frakes uh, is directing one episode. Uh, Brandon Braga is directing an episode, and Robert Duncan McNeil uh, is directing an episode. And McFarland is a friend of Star Trek. I mean, he's he's been you know the, the American Dad, Family Guy, Star Trek, absolutely uh, Venn diagram is is <laughs> is, is is huge. Imagine the possibility three years from now of some sort of Orville Star Trek crossover comic book or something like that. Yeah, that's actually I never
2: even thought about that. That would be great. You
1: know, because IDW, who runs the license for Star Trek, uh, is and 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 for other um, licenses like GI Joe and and Transformers, uh, are very cool with crossovers. You know, there's been Trek, Doctor Who, Trek. Trek, Lantern. Uh, Trek Green Lantern. There was the DC Hanna Barbera, um, which is not IDW, but you know, there's a lot of crossovers in comics is 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 a doable thing. Yes, and Seth MacFarlane would love it, <laughs> and the fans would probably love it. I mean, I'm assuming that the Orville is going to be really good and it's going to last. You know, it looks like Hopefully, it costs yeah. a zillion dollars, but I think it's going to do well. And I will not allow, not on my watch. I don't think any listeners or any fans out there are in the mindset of Orville versus Discovery. I don't think no. it's a, a... It's not an either or. It's not an either Orville. It's a both. Um, they're going to be very different. Orville is a comedy, obviously, but it's very Trek. And it looks like the flashback to TNG. The set looks like TNG, a little bit modernized. and the uniforms. Dis- the uniforms. And Discovery is, is its own thing, you know? So, in terms of its look, and it's looking really cool. That shot of Jason Isaacs as Captain Lorca of the Discovery... Is a really really cool image, and now the new news about Frakes directing, directing both. He's the bridge right there, you know. Yeah. Number one, number one doing two. <laughs> How about that?
2: Actually, um, I, I've been meaning to mention that I've been reading the uh, the IDW comic um, "Samira Shattered."
1: About the the, the verse the, the mirror universe with TNG. Uh, with TNG, there was the uh, free comic book weekly. Uh, there was a free comic book day episode zero, uh, issue zero, zero, and then there's been and two the, cents. There's been two cents,
2: right? And uh, well, we were just introduced to to uh, to Riker, and uh, yeah, and and it it was funny because it's. I don't want to give any spoilers. Or anything no, no that, no. really. But I mean, there, there's there's like, there's a fist fight with uh, with Picard and Riker, and it's just very entertaining. Yeah, and <laughs> and
1: Mirror Universe LaForge looks wild. Yes, his gla- he's, his, his, his goggles, visor looks yes. dynamite. And uh, you're one issue ahead of me, by the way, because okay. I haven't gotten. Oh, I'm. Um, it's quite. It's quite all right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I sat through the Beyond re- review before I saw the movie. <laughs> No, you're you're uh, you're one ahead. I mean, I have it downloaded. I just haven't gotten around to reading it yet. But uh, yeah, it's real. That's a really cool, and that's uh, J.K. Woodward does the art for that. And those are all yes. painted panels. Yeah, and they they look really neat. They look very much like the actors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's great. He's terrific. Um, cool. So that's what's happening. Um, but lastly, before you know, we're talking about television and comic books and all these great things. Uh, if you are a collector in the digital world, Brian. You uh, can't just leave these things on your, uh, on your laptop. You need to save them uh, offline, as it were. And what you need what you need, is written here on this piece of paper. What you need is a WD Western Digital hard drive, solid-state drive. And uh, WD Western Digital uh, is a sponsor of this show, and we love them. And you know, it's funny. This is no joke. I swear to you, this is true. We've been running these ads for a couple weeks now, mm-hmm. and I only just realized that the hard drives I use are oh, Western, Western Digital, Digital drives. There you go. I swear to you, I haven't gotten any new ones. Western Digital's not given me any freebies since we've been doing this <laughs> ad, but I have, and I've been enjoying them and I'll tell you what, and this again is true, I swear to God, I wouldn't be saying it. I got some other hard drives before and I put my music on there. I had, I had okay. digitized decade and a half of, of, of CDs and I digitized them and I put it on a hard drive and then I cloned those drives and the first one I had was not at Western Digital and I dropped it on a carpet. Oh. I didn't drop it on concrete. I dropped it on a, a, a cushy, nice carpet and that hard drive is dead. Wow. I had the clone so it's not a problem. Okay. I have since dropped, I, I have since dropped my Western Digital Still works. Wow! There I'm a go. klutz, by the way. I drop stuff all, <laughs> which is why I have clones. I have a couple of WD clones. I even have. I, I, I have an extra one. I need to clone, but you know, uh, because there are some. There's some music out there that you have in digital form that's not on Spotify. Yeah. Or if it's on Spotify now, they might take it off. You can take it off any day. It's your yeah. favorite band. Who's your favorite band, Brian? Um, Limp Bizkit. No, God, no. <laughs>
2: Matchbox uh, Twenty. No, uh, I'm actually going to say Megadeth. Uh, that was that's kind of <laughs> like what I
1: grew up with, really. On, and it sounds cheesy saying that like yeah, in this day and age, it's but I, I, it's I just like three s- three guitar solos in Hangar 18. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, Megadeth, I'm sure is on Spotify. You know, I don't know. I, I have sure all the albums. Is. I don't really need to look. Well, up that's on but like, here's the thing: if you have all the albums, but if you if you if you go right now <laughs> and if you have Spotify, one day you never know. Dave Mustaine. Might wake up one morning and decide, like, you know what?
2: I'm not getting enough money. From I don't Spotify. want it to
1: be on Spotify. They can go to buy my albums. It can Come go and bounce off my house and pay a lot of money. Right? It can go. A piece sells, and who's buying? And at some point, <laughs> can you name this Megadeth song? Um, use the man. No, this is kind of a random. This is not a. Th- oh, mastermind. There you go. Okay. <laughs> Mastermind from the album Cryptic Writings. Uh, My point is this. You need to have it on a drive. So, blah, blah, blah. Western Digital. And just very quickly read to you what it says. um, uh, Because it's a special deal. Why? Keep your music. Keep your video games. Library. Limited time. Limited time. You, the listener. Engaged listeners can get 20% off. 20%. Off select WD solid state tribes. There's very specific ones. There's a coupon code, and the coupon code is W D E N G A G E. Would engage, WD engage, would engage, and you go to wd.com/slash engage. And there, you know, it's not everything they sell is 20% off, but there's going to be a, a couple of choice ones. I think they're 500 gigabyte. Drives the two fifty and five hundred gig blue and black drives are uh, the ones. Five hundred. That's half a terabyte. Half a terabyte. Yes, that's a lot. It's a lot of space. Two fifties, kind of. I think the ones I have are two fifty. That's more than enough for me. Mm -hmm. But you, but I don't have any video on there. If you collect uh, shows or uh, video or heavy, heavy, heavy images with a lot of pixels, man. (laughs) You might want the 500, and you get 20% off, and they're not too pricey to begin with. So you can get two and get a whole terabyte if you want. There you go. So that's at wd.com slash engage. Uh, That's the good news. Um, So we're going to come back in a moment. Stephanie Zaharik is going to join us. We're going to beam her in, in three, two, one.
2: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking
1: business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
2: This is Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. Energizer.
1: And we're back. We're here on uh, the Battle Bridge here on Deck 44, not on the... uh, Main Bridge, so I cannot. I can neither beam her in, nor can I have the special swooping door sound effect. Unless Brian, can we can we put that in after the fact? Of course, I can. All right, uh, Stephanie, would you prefer to be beamed in, or do you want the door that goes? Whoosh, whoosh?
0: I want to be beamed in. That's right, well. been
1: my dream. All right, here we go. Wait, I'm cracking my knuckles here. And after the fact, oh wait, you're materializing in your seat, a glittery glow. And there she is. Ladies and gentlemen, Stephanie Zaharik is here in the studio with us.
0: How did I get here? like magic. Oh my God.
1: Suspension of disbelief. And this is an exciting time. We're here to talk about what is, I think, without question, the most respected Star Trek moment, really. The Star Trek film that even people who don't like Star Trek like. The Star Trek film that has had the greatest impact on greater culture and uh, that is, of course, Star Trek: Two, The Wrath of Khan. Which, uh, and Stephanie, you are not particularly a, a Trekkie or a Trekker. How much of the? How, what is your knowledge of Star Trek in general? Let's let's be uh, let's layer. Cards down on the table here. What have, what have you watched over
0: the years? Oh, I actually loved the sh- the original show yeah. as a kid, and yeah. I, I remember when it would when it was actually on TV at you know at night on uh, whatever night it was Saturday, and then um, when it was in syndication. Yeah. And what I remember, like I would come home from school and I would watch. Like Gilligan's Island, which my sisters told me not to watch because they said that's dumb; it'll rot your brain. Look what happened. <laughs> yes. um, anyway, um, and then I don't know the monsters or whatever. There was this yeah, little yeah, the block, a and, block of
1: great syndicated. Yeah, television. and maybe game,
0: like maybe the Newlyweds game was like in there. I don't know whatever. But then Star Trek would yeah. come on, and it was a little later. It was it might have been might have been six o'clock or maybe it was five, but that was almost dinner time. And there right. was something in my brain. I was like. This is on later because this is a show for grown ups. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and I watched it. a wow. lot, And I didn't watch it obsessively. Like I haven't gone right. back and, and studied the you know every episode, the canon
1: and the lore of all the minutia and whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> no,
0: but I really, I always loved the characters, and yeah. I, I loved. It. And since then, of course, a lot of people have written about the, the civic idealism of sure. these shows and how um, obviously it's um, very uh, multiracial, the casting, and mm-hmm. uh, and also this idea of working to go out and explore a new worlds. And they always find the paradise. They're like, oh, wow, this is paradise. But then there's something wrong with it. Like right. the fruit is poison. Or there's <laughs> whatever. Sp- <laughs> spores. Like, there are usually a lot of spores yeah, in the yeah, plants exactly. that ruin things. Yeah. So I actually really did like the show. But, um, you know, by the time the movie started rolling out, I, I wasn't really, I, you know, I sort of lost interest sure. and moved on to other things. So it yeah. wasn't like I saw every single yeah. one of the movies. But I did. I did see this one. I saw it after the fact. I didn't see it in, in theaters.
1: Oh, you didn't see it in the theaters at the time? No. Okay. Um, and did you, have you ever watched any of the uh, next generation stuff that Patrick Stewart shows and then Deep Space Nine and all that? Have you...
0: No, yeah. you know I know people love them. To yeah. me, I, I just didn't really want to in any way revisit that sure. universe because yeah. I, I yeah I really am fond of those original
1: yeah. characters. Yeah. So you know I, I'm going to drop a name here. When I was talking to Sigourney Weaver one time, <laughs> you like that Brian? That was good, right? Of course, because you know she's sci-fi, she's alien, and somehow and Galaxy Quest. And, well, yeah, I was <laughs> when I was talking to her about Galaxy Quest. Um, I asked her about her stuff of Star Trek and she, she she didn't really know any of it, not even the original stuff, but she knew a little bit. I said, what about The Next Generation? she said, like, oh, I've tried to watch it, but every time, it's always about a bunch of shepherds. It's like they are always guys in gray wandering around a mountain herding sheep. And I'm, and there is like one episode maybe where there's a guy, with, but she must've just flipped on and gotten the same one every time. But in her head, she's like, I've tried, I've tried. It's always Shepherds. I just think of Shepherds, I have to turn it off. So anyway, yeah, I'm not well, gonna argue with her. Uh, <laughs> Far be it from me. So by the time you saw Wrath of Khan, um, you knew that this was A, kind of the beloved one, and B, you knew that Spock didn't really die, right? At that yeah. point? Yeah. By that, one, the third one had come out, and uh...
0: yeah, yeah, okay. So, and I was introduced to it by like a film critic, a film, you know, film lover, who said this movie is great. Like oh. even if you think you really don't, you know, care about the show or the characters that much, which I kind of did. Sure. He said, you know, you you'll probably love this one, and, and sure enough, I did.
1: Yeah. Well, that has happened. This one did. I mean, nowadays, Star Trek is more. I think since the rebooted ones that are out right now. The, and, and now that geeks control pop culture, it's, a, it's more kind of okay to say that you love certain Star Trek movies. But I remember uh, Quentin Tarantino really uh, advocating this as one of his favorite movies back in the 90s when he was still considered the voice of underground, cool, you know, legitimate uh, film. And he would say, and he said, Oh, Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. And people are like, ah, that's like a mainstream dopey movie. And then people got to see it that who wouldn't have normally, and and agreed. It really is uh it's great. And you know, so the little bit of behind the scenes, then I want to get to your thoughts on it. Um, part of what makes it great, and I say this as someone who is, you know, that Star Trek is my thing, and I love all of it, and I'm very fond of Gene Roddenberry, the creator, and and I sort of do love sort of the deep connections and all the intricacies and reading the tie-in novels and the comic books and all that (laughs) monstrous stuff. Uh, Part of what makes Star Trek 2 so great is that it was created by people that didn't really care much for Star Trek. All the major players that got this project didn't really know Star Trek. It was like, yeah, this thing, but we have to take it away from the people who have been working on it for 15 years and bring fresh eyes to it. And that's the type of thing that in today's environment would make fans go crazy. Like if they announced tomorrow that the director of Wonder Woman Two would be someone who had never read a DC comic in his or her life, there would be outrage on the internet, you know? But back then they didn't have the internet, so there wasn't a problem.
0: And there was no outrage. And there was so no nice. outrage. It was <laughs> a nice
1: Ah, uh, nineteen eighty three. So uh, you know, what happened was the first Star Trek movie came out and it was not it was not the success that Paramount had hoped for. They put a lot of money into it and they made just enough to consider doing a second one, but uh fans didn't really like it. It was very slow, was very arty, it was very sort of in its own head. It wanted to be 2001: A Space Odyssey and it was very Gene Roddenberry. And um the head of the head of Paramount Charles Bloodhorn, the famous Charles Bloodhorn of uh he owned Gulf and Western and Paramount was his little side project you know, he's looking on the ledger sheet and he sees star Wars is making a ton of money and they've got their star Trek. And they're like, where's our, where's our, where's our money. So they brought in a bunch of people to, to look into making star Trek. And there was a producer from Paramount television named Harv Bennett. And somehow he got in the room and they're like, they made the last one for 45 million. What can you do? He's like, I can make five movies for 45 million. He goes, great. You're hired. And he didn't really know much about star Trek. So he went and he watched all the original episodes which back then there was, you know, it wasn't VHS tapes. He had to go somewhere and somebody had to, just, you know, put him in a room in Paramount and he had to watch the one in a screening room. And he saw the original Spacey, which has Ricardo Montalbán. And he's like, aha, that's our villain. Because he thought the first one didn't really have a villain. And then they wound up hiring uh, the director, Nicholas Meyer, who was a writer. He'd written the 7% solution, 10%? The, the Sherlock Holmes yeah. book that was very successful. And he directed Time After Time, uh, which is a fun movie. And he knew even less about Star Trek, Um, but he knew, like, naval movies. And uh, anyway, those are the guys that resuscitated Star Trek and brought it back to life. So we have them to thank for, you know, had it not been for these guys, there would have been no Deep Space Nine and the deep lore and all the nitty gritty and whatnot. But there are still things in the movie that bug super fans that are... That still have this idealistic, utopian vision of what Star Trek ought to be. The fact that the exit signs in the beginning of the movie look like regular exit signs. If you look really close, when they're in like the... um, After the first Kobayashi Maru test, and then Kirk and Spock are in like the hallway. And like there's some kind of like plants that look like futuristic plants. Brian, do you know what I'm talking about? The exit signs? Yes, yes. Um, they actually look like, um, in this building here, they have, uh, they have, when
2: there's a fire drill, they have a sign that they put up, and it looks like that. It's like on a stand, yeah. and it's just like a
1: square box, and it looks really out of place. Yeah, it looks, and it's on, it's in the it's in the future, you know, which it's not, it's just like, that dr- it drives me crazy, I'll be honest. It doesn't belong there.
0: See, I was looking at the sparkly curtain. Right. I was like, oh, look, they put a very ingenious production design. They yeah. just went to the fabric store and got some sparkly. Like, yeah, yeah, know. well no
1: Sp- Spock's quarters they he's got those beads
0: like oh, Rhoda yeah. Morgenstern. he's got those I, great beads. I have so much to say about the movie's production design and <laughs> and the costume design. Was like, uh, but we can get into that. Yeah, a bit well, later. no,
1: well, let, so t- you <laughs> actually have some notes of the theater. I here. do because so, so, I,
0: I watched the movie again very carefully. It's you watch it again for the first third, time in
1: probably many years.
0: Yeah, uh, I think I like I wrote a little thing about it in two thousand, so I haven't seen it. Since okay,
1: then, it's so been a while. So you you know I, I invite you on the show. You you agree to come on thinking oh, sure what the heck and then. You say, oh, my God, now I got to do homework. I got to watch Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. What have I gotten myself into? You turn it on, and the first thing you hear is the music. Yeah. Brian, let's hear a little bit of the opening theme. Because if nothing else, I think everyone can agree, James Horner's theme to Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, it's like a little quasar of light out there in the distance. And a little mechanical beep. And then, I don't know what that sound is. It's ominous, but now it is triumphant. Pretty much every Star Trek has been aping this theme since. It's really one of the great scores. All right. <laughs> so it's pretty exciting. So... Um, yeah. So tell me. So what? What was your sort of uh, uh, initial take as you're as you're watching the first five minutes? What did you remember and what did you not remember?
0: Oh well, what I remembered. Th- this ties into what you were saying about how this is a movie made by people who didn't uh, particularly care about Star Trek, and they're like, we gotta, we gotta rip it apart and yeah. let's start from the beginning. Is that I think that really freed these actors because, you know, in the days since the original show aired, we have gone through many um, phases of of loving and hating like you know some of those actors sure james t kirk you know has become sort of a sometimes sometimes the laughing stock and yeah but the thing about the performances in this film is they're really moving yeah and i think i mean i think those were always kind of interesting fun performers and you know on the show like some episodes they would have more to do than others or you know one would like spotlight check off or whatever but in this film like everybody has their little their cool little thing Mm -hmm. and particularly um Captain Kirk's relationship with um with Spock and with Bones Mm. in this film like those are really his two closest yeah friendships and they're different you know each one is different but both of them like they're the only two people who can kind of stop his wheel spinning and right say, right
1: and look what also is really cool is that <clears throat> when when kirk is alone with bones he can kind of like because bones and spock are at odds obviously and when he's with bones he's like yeah yeah i see it from your point of view this Spock guy's kind of a pain in the butt and then he's with spock he's like bones he's such a hothead but we got to deal with him you know he can play both sides a little bit which is which is what makes it such a great troika such a great uh you know triangle there and um you're right they everybody gets their own little moment which is which is really nice because in the previous film it was just about the special effects and just sort of like the strange look and everything and these sort of heady ideas with this one it's more it's really just about people
0: yeah, and that—I um, mean—the ending obviously is the yeah. <laughs> thing that just really, it really gets you. And you know, watching it again, where I—you know—you see Spock. Uh, he, you know, he's going into the the room with the right. radiation, and he puts on the. Glo- I love how He puts on the gloves, like he it, you know, <laughs> right? That,
1: that, gloves that, to, to. <laughs> that is funny. What? He goes in there to, to sacrifice. He knows yeah. he's not coming out alive. Yeah, but there's. It's just he has safety ingrained in him, I guess. Yeah. So he's got to put on gloves. Maybe they're like anti gravity gloves because he couldn't pick up yeah. the reactor. Without I mean, them, or he just has, the flesh on his fingers would have singed off. So, but he does put on gloves to go kill himself, which is so, nice.
0: Yeah. it's. It, I mean, it's kind of part of the ritual, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually, as even as that moment, as, as that scene progresses, like you're watching and you're, I mean, by today's standards, the special effects, I know people say, oh, oh, oh so yeah. primitive. But I think the effects in that movie are actually, I think they're really effective. And I think, um, you know I mean obviously he's in the room and he's dying and that's it's own kind of operatic thing and physically everything that Leonard Nimoy does in that moment is is wonderful I mean it it is this moment where you know like we always have these actors who say oh I always really wanted to do Shakespeare and that didn't really pan out but you know like you get a movie like this and people kind of rise to the occasion you know And, and, and I think this is really an example of that um And, of course, Shatner, you know, William Shatner's response, and the delayed response. Yes. Where he looks in the room, and and they're stopping him. They're saying, don't go in, and he's already He's He's dead already. And, And then there's the funeral, which the bagpipes start playing. I'm like, oh, Scotty on the bagpipes. I'm sorry, like... I have Scottish blood in me. It just always gets me. (laughs) Yeah, it
1: really is. Well, I mean, the thing about that death scene, so many great things about the death scene. But it is, um, first of all, about the effects. You're right. They're minimal effects. So it's less is more. And Spock up to that point, and even if you've never seen any Star Trek before, this is the first time you've ever encountered these characters, which is kind of impossible in today's pop culture society, but still... By the time this movie, you've read, its already been established that Spock is a selfless figure, and he's a, a wise, he's a sage. He's in that room in his cloak, and he's—he's he's got his act together. And then after he fixes the uh, the warp core matrix, if you must know what it is that he's fixing, <laughs> I can't remember yeah, well. <laughs> what it is. They never say it, but it's the dilithium chamber of the intermix chamber. But anyway, so when when he fixes it, and he's blind. And he bumps into the plexiglass. Oh Oh my God. It's such an amazing touch because it's like seeing somebody who you've always held up as, like, he's gonna protect us. He's always got it under control. And you realize, oh my God, he's not. He's fumbling. Mm -hmm. You know, it's seeing somebody in a weak position that you never expect to see weak. And then he bumps into the plexiglass and he immediately straightens his shirt. Like, he's still got his, you know, I'm gonna be professional about this. And Shatner, you know, you're right. Part of his uh, shtick now is Denny Crane and the Priceline Negotiator, and he's a big goofball. And people joke about Shatner and his hair and whatnot and his singing. And we did it just last week on the show. We did a whole episode of on his oh, singing. Oh, you've got to. You've but got to. in that scene, find me better film acting. I mean, it's it's just perfect. I mean, his reaction, uh, you know, he doesn't shout. He For the first time in his career, he doesn't shout. He just says no very quietly. He's just destroyed you know he's the guy who always figures out a way to save the day and his best pal has just sacrificed himself yeah and you know i cry every time you know it's even though i know he's going to come back in the next movie
0: i know i mean i have to say like when they they shoot the coffin out the little you know the blue hole i'm sure it has a name that is not that um but uh and then you you see it kind of shimmering in the paradise where everything can grow in two Mm -hmm. minutes so it's it's all good but um (laughs) i I, you know and i i actually i am sorry that i jumped ahead to the the ending you know and that's big to talk about that big dramatic sequence but uh, you know i i really think so many things up to that point work so well even the point where shatner like bumps into that blonde kid and it's like Oh, I, th- uh, I think that's my son. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, and even the look on his face in that discussion that yeah. he's having with his his uh, the son, he's never, he said to
1: stay away. What's yeah. great about that is that you don't have to be a Star Trek. Like that son, that woman, uh, the woman, Dr. Um, uh, Marcus. Thank you. Dr. Yep. Carol Marcus uh, has yep. never mentioned, you know, in any of the previous episodes. So you really can. And even though this movie is, not only is it part two, it brings back a character from the original show, you don't need to have seen any of it. You just need to know yeah. Kirk is he's the cowboy, he's finally going to get his, you know, face a challenge, and Ricardo Montabaum is the greatest oh, villain in the history of cinema. Oh, my God. <laughs>
0: he's so sexy. Well, is he's he? Like, no, I mean,
1: I don't know. I mean, oh, he's, yeah, he's, he's sexy. He's got the, he's, his hair, his chest, his, the, oh, the, the gloves, the, the.
0: <laughs> yeah, that well, I gotta say, that uh, weird costume that like yeah. shows off his nipples, and I kept looking at it. And I'm like, that can't be his real chest because like, he's 62 years old. This is a,
1: this is a so question it, that no one knows the real answer to.
0: But it may, it could be, it could be. Um, Maybe they just like really shaved it and waxed it. Yeah, it's very waxy. Like, you know, like pumped a lot of iron, like in the days and weeks (laughs) and hours before. I don't know. But he is very, he's captivating. And that kind of, I mean, it is sort of a mullet, but silvery, feathery hair. And he's so he's so angry there's also obviously the romantic element of he's you know avenging his wife's death sure like that, yeah that's always gonna you know that's yeah, always yeah. the thing when the man like misses his woman so much that he you know he
1: marla he macgyvers who was from our time from the future but she was a historian this he, this oh. you would only know from watching the original the original episode she was a historian and she basically turned her back on starfleet to go be with him Oh, she I th- gave up her life to go to go live on SETI Alpha Five and yeah. start a new civilization. But of course,
0: she got killed by the little, the uh,
1: little <laughs> the awful eel, little the SETI eel.
0: Oh, that if thing he, is awful. <laughs>
1: it's pretty terrible, and
0: that's just not. I have to say, like the, whatever yeah. the special effects are, it, yeah. That does not get any less terrifying. no that scene
1: still works. yeah absolutely That's, that scene is terrifying. I stay you know it, it makes it gives you a headache every time. but the thing about about performance as con and tell me if you disagree. I think it's one of the great movie villains period but also one of the last movie villains to play it completely straight. I mean, it's it's a performance that's projected to the cheap seats. Let's that's, that's no denying it. It's not a subtle performance. And this movie came out in 83, right? Uh, yeah, if, uh, it, was 80, it was
0: 82. 82. 82 yeah. yeah. Right. I
1: know a lot about Star Trek. 82. <laughs> and um, uh, Die Hard, 87, 86. Um, around then. I always think of Die Hard as the, a new day for movie villains because Alan Rickman, who's wonderful in Die Hard, The thing that blew everybody's mind away about his performance is that he was funny, and he was you know was he was against type. He wasn't a typical movie villain. Now it is all. I feel that many, a very high percentage, of big Hollywood action adventure movie villains are in that Alan Rickman mold. You know, Philip Seymour Hoffman in Mission Impossible. Um, Every villain. Jeremy Irons has been. You know, they're, they're always kind of a little bit, they're not like the tough guy. They're the, ugh, the little crafty kind of sneery guy and um Montaban is not that at all. He's just straight ahead. He's just the physical embodiment of wrath and he's Big and he quotes John Milton, and he will you know his best buddy is like you have everything you need and he just throws him away and and the, so his little buddy uh, Yokim, right the other blonde guy who's trying yeah. to talk sense into him all Yokim wants Khan to do is to stop chasing Kirk, and he doesn't listen to him, he continues to chase Kirk. And he there's a battle, and Joachim dies. And he says to Joachim, "I will avenge you." And he'd be like, "You schmuck, avenge me against <laughs> yourself! It's all your fault. I told you to leave, you know." But still, he won't listen. He's, "I will yeah. avenge you." It's like ah, oh, his dying
0: moment. So he's not rational. No, but,
1: no, no, no. You know, he's a genetic experimentation from the 1990s, and they never are rational. Yeah. Um, so his performance. Tell me, I mean, help me sort of frame. Ricardo Ricardo Montan as an actor was never particularly respected. I mean, Fantasy yeah. Island was a big deal, but, I mean, you tell me. Yeah. I don't know.
0: What, and Wasn't he the rich, rich Corinthian leather right. guy? So, yeah. so people knew him from the car people commercials. People knew him from car commercials, right? yeah. You know? um, but I think, you know, you're right about this particular performance, this particular villain. Like, if you look at... Uh, the the classic model of the flash Gordon villain yeah. it's like being the merciless is kind of you know obviously there's like a, a racial issue there you know which we won't go into but um you know, I mean, it was okay at the time. Right. And well, not Khan is supposed okay to be Indian, rating. also. Yeah, so I know, <laughs> like, we, we can't escape it. Right, like, so right, we right. can't go back in time and no. fix these things. So yeah. we just sort of have to address them. But you know, like being the merciless, is, there's always this element of camp, you know, that, mm. that people kind of latch onto. But I think that Khan is interesting because he is excessive. Like you said, like he's playing to the cheap seats. He's he is big even with that silly like shrug type garment that he's wearing on all the necklaces I don't look at him and think oh this is campy like I can't I I, I have problems with the idea of camp anyway because I, I don't I think people too often use it to denote something that they they don't want to deal with the any real emotion of something they just want to laugh at it because it's easier because sure, yeah. it's from olden days so haha with Khan, I think, obviously, you don't dress like that. There is some element of of what we would call camp, yeah. but it really goes beyond that. I think it's more intense. And this guy is just like really drilling deep into this idea of, you know, it's like you said, he's not he's not rational. He yeah. he just like keeps going. He's driven by something that is even beyond yeah. anything that we can understand, and that. That fire in him is yeah. part of what makes the performance so compelling. It makes him, you know, he's like he's an erotic presence in that film. Yeah. you know, um, even just his relentless pursuit of Kirk. You're like, uh, <laughs> why? This is important to you for lots of reasons. Been thinking you know? about it for long. Well, that's why he yeah. wears
1: that of the medallion of the Delta um, Shield. The, yeah. Is like broken. From the you know his his nemesis is the Federation. He wears that around his neck because you know it's, it's always yeah going to empower him. I mean, yeah, I would imagine Manobam when he when he got this role was like, I am going to just go bananas here, and heaven help me. And but like everything he says is fun to quote. You know, it's just uh, you know. It is very cold in space. Like everything is <laughs> yeah. is just hilarious, and he outdoes Shatner. I mean, that's hard to do. I mean, yeah. and what's amazing when you think about this movie from a production point of view is that um, Shatner and Montalban were never on stage together. Yeah, they only see each other through screens. I mean, the, the, the electricity of the two of them—they don't even need to be in the same room. It's just—it's uh, remarkable. Now you mentioned the costumes. Oh. That the the uniforms of um, uh, were changed for this movie from. Previous existing Star Trek, the kind of the velour, very stretchy. big color, stretchy One size colors
0: fits most. <laughs> right, right, right.
1: And then in the first movie, they had the weird kind of unitards with the belt buckle. And then um, Nick Meyer like threw that all away and said, No, we're going with these sort of red, more naval looking things with the, with the, Snaps on the chest yeah. that flap open, yeah, Duran,
0: Duran kind of, yeah, yeah, so, yeah.
1: You're right. It's a little bit '80s, but a little bit not. So um, maybe this can lead into if you if you wanted to talk a little bit about the design, decor, and costumes of the film. What really resonated with you watching it again this week?
0: Oh God. Well, I have to say one of my favorite sequences is at the beginning when Bones goes to see Kirk yeah. and knows Kirk's a little bummed out because it's his birthday and yeah. it's not even a, you know. I guess it's like a midlife crisis, but. He, he really is almost even past. I don't. I don't know how old he's supposed to be.
1: Right, point, right. But it's a mid, it's, it's a midlife crisis yeah, in yeah. the twenty third century. Yeah,
0: yeah. and uh, so Bones shows up, and first of all, that apartment is it's like something <laughs> out of a Mad Helm movie. It's, it's, <laughs> he's got like the little the little space knick-knack shelf. Yeah, uh, it's
1: hard to know what's going on. You really want to look through the window. He's somewhere in San Francisco because that's where Starfleet is. Now, you don't know if this is like a a place that they put him up, if he's part of... You kind of just assume that it's part of like some big complex. Like he just gets in one elevator and he's at his office, right? That's sort of the the vibe you get. It's it's very futuristic. There's tubes connecting things, but you don't really know. And he's got like old sextants and old kind (laughs) of naval stuff on one wall and he's got these two kind of weird looking chairs facing a fireplace that you can't really see. And that's kind of it. That's all you see about it, you yeah. know?
0: Oh, he's a space bachelor, dude. Yeah, he's
1: a space bachelor. Like you think about who's who's hanging out at this place. And I imagine you're getting to Bones' pants. Is that what oh this is leading?
0: Because
1: <laughs> these are some you crazy read looking pants. My mind. Yeah.
0: They're like chaps, kind of, attached <laughs> to pants. Yeah. I
2: the, the, the one comment I would say yeah. about, about this movie, though, it, yeah. compared to the first one, is that uh, when you see them in their, like, street clothes or whatever you want to yeah. call it in the first movie, it, it, like, screams 70s. Yeah, 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 I yeah. don't feel like this, like, applied to a,
1: the particular time it was filmed. Yeah, this just screams, like, they they were they were going for something, and God knows what it was, but it's cool, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's,
0: you're right. It is yeah. sort of out of time. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he but also, no,
1: Bones has a little bit of a Western thing, you know, which maybe oh. was DeForest Kelly. I mean, he got his start doing westerns. Maybe that was a hats off to him. Who knows? But yeah, when he he comes into the apartment bearing Rom, beware of Romulan's bearing gifts, he's brought him some <laughs> Romulan ale, and he like kind of takes off his overcoat. Isn't this illegal? Right? Yeah. <laughs> he takes off his overcoat, and he's wearing like you're like what? It just like someone hit pause. I need to see what he's wearing here. It's pretty. It's pretty wild. So yeah, and that's right at the beginning of the movie, and then just, it just just gets better from there. So.
0: And even, you know, he sits down in a chair and he puts his feet up. And i really obsessed with, he's got some kind of shiny like, patent leather boots. or something. You really just get a, gl- a glimpse of them. Mm. But they're like, they're taupe. They're they're like <laughs> they're not like camel boots and they're not no, no. brown. Yeah. They're like t- and I'm just like this guy really planned out this outfit to yeah. come over, you know, for the the little birthday celebration. But I just I love that. And he's got a little scar like a little ascot tied yeah, in his neck. Yeah. No,
1: he always had ascots, yeah. He's a southern it's really, gentleman. You know, he is he is a southern yeah. gentleman and you know. So uh, It's pretty wild. And then um the other kind of street clothes you don't see that everything else, at least from our guys, is predominantly uniforms. But you do see Christy Alley in the um in the turbo lift kind of off hours and she's wearing like a I don't know what that is, oh. like a pirate's blouse or something. It's very oh, yeah. It like, and, like, yeah. It's yeah, very Yeah, yeah, it
0: looks like a spa bathrobe or something, <laughs> which makes that whole scene more intimate. Like she's on yeah. her way to the to get a massage or get. something, right. and runs into it. It's like being one of the a luxury hotel, right? Where you're
1: on your way to the pool, right. And, right. exactly. You know, and somebody else like, in a business suit. You're, you I, I, I know. Although I saw
0: Harvey Keitel in a bathrobe <laughs> in an elevator.
1: That's nice. That's what, <laughs> Where he's are like, you in? Oh, uh,
0: hello, how are you? Young and that's
1: and that's really neat. And she's got her hair down.
0: Oh yeah, but it's still regulation. It's still, yeah. still regulation. Yeah,
1: that's a great character. Now there, there, there's a little bit of um, what ended up on screen doesn't quite make sense because you th- she you know she's playing Vulcan and you're like why is, why doesn't she behave more like Spock? And then if you go back and read the tie-in books and all the stuff, the lore of the character. Um, Originally, she was going to be half Vulcan, half Romulan. And then, uh, you know, she was raised outside of Vulcan. That's why she behaves a little different. But in the movie, it just just goes by so fast, you don't even think about it. You know, it's just, she's just a great character. I mean, really, Mm. one of the first things she ever did, too. I mean, she's really great, I think, in that. You know, because she's, you know, kind of an eager young cadet, but also seems wise and she holds her own in that scene with Kirk. You know, there is a lot of sparks between the two of them in, in the elevator there.
0: Yeah, and that moment yeah. where she leaves the room because um, Kirk and Carol are going to have their little talk yeah. about their son. Yeah, And there's this, this uh, momentary triangle oh. where uh, he... I forget exactly what Kirk says to her. Some, like... Uh, cryptic line of dialogue she kind of reads it and she's like okay I guess I better leave you know but it, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. really it's really interesting yeah well if you
1: want to follow the, the lore that character Savic, Kirstie Alley never played her but they got another actress to play her in the, in the follow-ups and it is implied that she and Spock later had an encounter and in fact in some of the books which are not necessarily considered canon she and Spock have a child Oh. But uh, awesome. it's in you know parallel dimensions and all this. It's all it's. Oh, it's,
0: see, it's always a parallel dimension. Yeah, I know, thing. I
1: know. That's that's life. That's way too way many
0: choices. If you can have a parallel dimension, <laughs> and you don't limit your choices, and too much can happen in yeah. it. It just it's it gets not fun for me. T- for me. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, don't listen to what I say.
1: Not forever. Not
2: that. Well, Star true. Trek has one of the most fun parallel parallel dimensions in fiction. I mean, the, the mirror universe.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Are you familiar with the oh. mirror universe? <laughs> Do you know about well, Spock's beard? Does that does that freeze no, Spock's beard? No, I or think
0: I would probably hear that in like uh, run a mile in the other direction. <laughs> Sp- but you
1: know, if it's ha- it's cool there, it's there is something called the mirror universe, and you could probably figure it out from is kind of, opposite land, bizarro world where where up is down and black is white. And in the mirror universe, our heroes of the of the USS Enterprise are actually flying the ship, the ISS Enterprise, which is the Imperial Starship, and they're evil. Oh. And Spock is even evil, and you know how you know he's evil? He's got a beard. Oh my god! Spock has a beard, and the idea of your evil twin with a goatee—that comes from the mirror universe. And this is sort of a joke that's been like, you know, your evil twin as it's, it's you, but with a goatee. It comes from comes from Spock.
0: Oh no! Now okay, now I know. Was this a book? Or no, a this was uh, this
1: was in the original series. There was an episode called Mirror Mirror. And oh, in it, they. Okay. Uh, so there was an ion, an ion storm over the planet, the Hawkins planet, and they zap into another dimension and they go to the mirror universe. And our Kirk, the good Kirk, is with Uhura and. Um, uh, probably Scotty, I think, and I think and it's the, four of them. Yeah, it it's Ahura, Scotty, and I forget who else, but it's not Spock. So he gets the gets to the transporter room, and he's like, "Oof, that was a rough transport." Oof, and he looks up to where Spock ought to be, and then it zooms in, and it's Spock doing some sort of like fascist salute, and he's got a, you know gummed on goatee oh <laughs> it's t-
0: kind of coming back to me yeah, now that was a big deal must, yeah yeah, 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 it was, yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, but I probably saw it I yes, probably you, was like eight uh, you were a young lass and you should have been I doing
1: your homework anyhow
0: yeah well I know Come but after on. I was in the Gilligan's Island stupor right so. no, you had just
1: <laughs> seen uh, the professor and Marianne and Ginger I would imagine more of a Ginger than a Marianne as a, as a role model
0: oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah
1: sure um, anyway I think uh, and uh, you know Skipper was a big deal for me you know I was always very fond of uh, Skipper. Skipper was awesome. He's a nice guy. Yeah I, I, I like Gilligan's Island I grew up too. Well, I, who would have been your role model? I'm trying to well, think. I don't know I actually. guess the professor. Maybe. Here you are behind Maybe. the keys making the sound <laughs> effects go. Can you produce the show with two coconuts? That's the question. Um well, let's try it next time. Let's <laughs> we'll see how it works. Um all right so <laughs> Wrath of Khan. So um Yes, and you said you wanted to talk a little bit about uh, other design elements that really... Oh, yeah. yeah. Well,
0: also the special effects, because, you know, I... Uh, I really don't understand how... Obviously, a, a, a young person who's used to movies today might look at this one and say, gee, the special effects are really primitive, but, I like, I, you know, like I saw Spider-Man Homecoming the yeah. other day, and it's like oh, wow, look at the way Spider-Man scales that wall. And it's really cool, but I can't say, you know, that looks exactly like the last time I saw Spider-Man scale a wall in right. It's We don't have any like realistic things to compare these things to anyway. Sure,
1: yeah. I mean, the, so, the, the thing about special effects, the, the thing about this now is this, this summer, the new Mummy came out, which was not a good movie, I thought. Um, did you see it? Did you sneak? Away? I was
0: not. Well, I, I wasn't actually on vacation that week, right. but I took vacation from the mummy. Okay, so so that you way
1: d- you <laughs> didn't see it. Fair enough. Well, yeah. well, one of the big stories about the production of the mummy is that for one sequence, they actually did shoot it in zero gravity. They uh, got one of these planes that can go into high orbit or whatever they can do, and they shot a scene of Tom Cruise zipping around in a plane, floating in, in the movie, and he and the woman, uh, whose name escapes me right now, the blonde, um, she's yeah, not I Teresa Palmer, she's the new Teresa Palmer, they're floating around. Anyway, I didn't, I because I can sometimes be a ostrich, I didn't know any of this before I saw the movie. I watched the movie, and I watched the Zero-G scene. I'm like, yeah, and, you know, these characters bore me, and I'm already out of the film, so I wasn't really too impressed. Didn't think anything of it. It didn't strike me as any real exciting special effects moment, or, you know great stunts after the fact I learned they spent a zillion dollars renting a plane and gun and I'm like you know what it, it meant nothing it meant it added nothing to the film that that was a quote unquote practical thing versus anything I would have seen otherwise it didn't really connect so I guess the point I'm making is you know there's an argument about practical effects versus special effects it kind of doesn't matter unless other things are working also. You know, um, some of the Spider-Man... If you watch some of the earlier Spider-Man movies, the scenes of him swinging, they do look a little video gamey. Um... And the original mummy, the Brendan Fraser one, which I really like. I think it's yeah, really good. Me too. Some of the I sequ- miss Brendan Fraser. <laughs> Some of the sequences in that really look like they were made on a cheap computer. You know, the the flashbacks to ancient Egypt with, you know, throngs of the DW Griffith shots that are done on a computer look terrible because it was made in 1999. But it doesn't matter. You know, once once you get into. This is my philosophy on special effects anyway. I don't know if you agree or disagree, but um with this In Wrath of Khan, I mean, some of the images are really quite beautiful. All the scenes of the Mutara Nebula at the end, the purple and blue. It's all it is is purple and blue clouds. And then when they're in the Genesis planet, it's clearly a matte painting, but it looks nice. And um, and that's really it. and then the photons and the phasers there aren't too many special effects in the movie, I guess.
0: No well, and even just the shot you know shots of the ship in space yeah. it's so you know this like bright like nightlight and this like <laughs> yeah. inky and yes. it's so beautiful and it ties back to you know Kirk always had that that traditional Siemens thing of, like referring to the ship as a beautiful lady right. you know, and, and you see the ship just the way it looks and it's a compl- I, don't, I don't know how they do that they just like dangle the model and <laughs> put it in a black and light it a certain way and it just looks beautiful yeah. you know, it's very simple but it, it actually there's an emotional tie. like when I see the, the ship made to look that way I'm like I really love the ship and everybody on it. Like I, it, it's <laughs>
1: it's like all your pals live like, there. Yeah, yeah,
0: emotional connection. So well, um, there's that
1: great moment at the beginning when Spock is when they're in that room with the exit sign. And he says, "Where are you going, Spock?" He's like, "I have to go to the Enterprise before your inspection." Where are you going? And he says, "Home," but really, the Enterprise is his home, right? Yeah. And that apartment, that swinging bachelor pad with the weird stuff on the wall, <laughs> that's not his home. It's the ship. So. Um, yeah. That is, that is the implication. I mean, it really is. I mean, the thing about the, the Enterprise is, it's a, even back from the 60s, it was a totally new type of idea for a ship. I mean, rockets were rockets and UFOs were Dixie plates or whatever upside down. This is sort of a hybrid of the two, and it worked, and it's stuck, you know. And then the new ship you see in this, the, the Reliant it's kind of the enterprise upside down. Yeah, you know that's sort. It kind of looks like the enterprise, but a little different, you know. And and
0: and somehow not as good. You know, of course it's, not. <laughs> it's an inferior no. ship,
1: but you know, absolutely not. Uh, yeah. Absolutely, not. and apparently they could run it with just like six guys because they take the entire crew, stick them on the planet. Doesn't quite make sense, but that's okay. There's another thing; that doesn't really make sense if you if you really know the show when when Khan when he's got the captain Tyrell and Chekhov on the Botany Bay on the planet. And he says to Terrell, goes, you, I don't know, right? And then he says to, to Chekhov, but you, I know. I never forget a face. Yeah, technically, ugh, uh, the character of Chekhov was not on the show in the season that the episode Space Seat is in. So they actually did never meet on the show. Oh. Right, but you don't really need to know that. He heard the story. He probably. heard the story. Or, a,
0: you know, what somebody he, said, watch out for that
1: guy. Right? <laughs> 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 the, the fan theory is that they did meet, because he says I never forget a face they did meet just that w- the camera wasn't on them at the time you know we were cut to commercial and then he met Chekhov you know so <laughs> so that's that's the thinking on that one but I love that scene when he's got them lined up and he's just like you know had, he's like been waiting for so long for somebody to come visit him and he's finally gonna just milk it for every, everything they've got Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports,
2: tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Welcome back to Engage. The official Star Trek podcast with your host, Jordan Hoffman. You are, after all, irrational.
1: Do you think the ending, I mean, the ending of the, um, the death scene... Obviously, it's very, very, very powerful, very moving, and it really does work. And then they try to spin it with like, you know, death and life, death and birth. The new planet is born, and they're gazing at the planet. And he says he feels young again. Does that ending work for you, or is it a little, little hokey? Or oh, it
0: totally works. Yeah? In fact, it works for me. More, again, like I haven't looked at this movie in seventeen years. Yeah, it look it works for me at the age. I am now, and I I know a lot of older dudes who probably (laughs) should have a look at this movie because it it really, it it is kind of poetic. I mean, you can say, oh, you know, it's clunky or this is just like a stereotype of how an older person might feel. But I I think it really strikes at some core idea of you reach a certain age, maybe especially for men, but I think it happens for, for women too. And you really do have to, you have to reinvent yourself sometimes by going back to the thing that you're best at and realizing mm-hmm. like you're not done with that. And you have to like dig in a little deeper. And sometimes you have to, to go, you know, do something else completely different. But I, th- I think what Kirk learns is, you know, he does, he belongs on the ship that like that's his. Yeah. But also this idea of, you know, he, he has that line about, that this is the first time he ever faced death. Like right, he was always right. used to cheating it, you know, and then he loses a friend and it's like, whoa. Well,
1: basically, he's see. been one of these guys who always gets by on his good looks and his and his luck and that everybody loves him and he's, he's always run around the rules and he finally finds a wall that he can't climb over, you know, or he can't escape this and he can't rely on his old tricks anymore and he's got to learn how to adapt to... A different lifestyle, you know. He's he's uh, he's um, he's played his hand one too many times, and uh, for a while looks like he's not going to come up from it. But then he, then he does. So in a way, it's kind of ruined by the third movie because he gets Spock back. Maybe maybe yeah. that's not a good message.
0: Well, I. You know, I've never seen. I've never seen. The th- I think I. did. You know. Again. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> have you seen the
1: fourth one when they go to the eighties and when they go to now, which was nineteen eighty six or seven when it came out? Um, when they go to San Francisco, they have to go back in time. It was yes. whales. Do you remember the one with the whales? I did. Yeah, I did see the yeah. one with the whales. Yeah, yeah. and that yeah. one is fantastic. It's yeah. so much fun. Yeah, uh, it's the funniest of them all. Uh, of of all of them, uh, you know, it's the funniest anything in Star Trek from any any of its seven hundred episodes um
0: well and also and this idea of just someone just going for broke and saying well let's just you know <laughs> let's just do this crazy thing yeah it, it you know it almost always even if it doesn't work at the time sometimes in retrospect it turns yeah. out yeah yeah well it's brilliant. a great
1: fish out of water story because it's it's a thing where you can as an audience member you totally understand both sides because you know and love these characters you know you know what their world is but now they're in our world they're on our turf which is modern now it's a little dated because it was 30 years ago, but, um, it's great to watch them interact with our world. It's like, it's like bringing a great friend, um, uh, maybe who lives uh, a great friend that you know, that, that lives overseas. You know, your friend from Germany is coming and you're taken to their, Oh, come visit my parents. You know, we're going to come to my hometown and you're going to see the weird way I grew up. And that's kind of what watching that movie is. It's really, uh, it's, it's very, it's very fun. Um, but so that's why he came back because they needed to have that one. So you know,
0: yeah, it'll, it'll, <laughs> he couldn't really die. I know. I know that,
1: yeah, no, no, but. it's too much. Um, so, uh, what were some of the other very key points that I wanted to make about this? Um, I, I, I think I think I said. Were there some other key points that you wanted to make about? Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, the greatest motion picture ever made.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty damn good. I don't know. I even like things like the fact that Paul Winfield, you know, shows up as Terrell. And he was an amazing actor. And, you know, that's something else that we don't really talk about is, you know, that movies at that time and, you know, a movie like this would make room for an actor of color which is good you could wish that his role was bigger but sure. it's yeah. like you know at least he got in there and he, he was like it, he was great and sounder like yeah. that's a movie that sort of has you know disappeared from the landscape I don't know. it's it's terrific but um, so I, I love seeing actors like yeah. that just kind he of he show shows up, up again in Next
1: Generation he has one of the best episodes in all of, oh. uh, with, with the opposite uh, Patrick Stewart oh good um, excellent in uh, an episode called Darmok which is actually based on the epic of Gilgamesh just set, set on a Abandoned planet somewhere. Um, yeah, he's great. And and Dr. Carol Marcus, she's kind of a tough cookie. I like her a lot too.
0: Yeah, me too.
1: She the actress's name is BB Besch, yeah. I want to say. Oh, yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she um what's interesting about her, and this is another example of these this producer and these writers and directors taking something that wouldn't have existed previously in Star Trek, which is there's that antagonism between civilian and Starfleet. And she and her team of scientists were like, no, 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 no. The the, the Reliant works for us. And this is not a, a government um, property and what the hell is going on. And there's a little bit of a distrust there. That is a very specific example of saying that Gene Roddenberry would never have allowed. Because in his view, everything total Marxist utopia, everything's one. There is no government. There is no people. It's all just one happy family. And a lot of what's great about Star Trek stems from that vision. I mean, so much of what makes it work, but when you do add a little bit of antagonism, it makes the it makes it so much more fun. So that's why there's sort of this balance between the two. I mean, Rod and Mary would have just struck that whole aspect out of, of the show, of, of this movie, um, which he had almost no involvement in. He gets the title of creative consultant, which was he was kicked upstairs, basically. They gave him a bunch of money and said, go away, and there was nothing he could do. Um... And so I don't know. I have mixed feelings about it, but I think that that sort of that aspect of it does make it pretty interesting.
0: And also uh, the dynamic with the son, the, the kid is kind yeah. of the hippie, and he's like, you know, don't trust these people, mom. Right, right. And she's like, well, mm, yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> one of them's
1: kind of all right, actually. Yeah. I have a bit of fondness for one of them, and we'll we'll get into why later. So yeah, yeah, it ultimately so, does. It ultimately does work out. Um, what, what do you so? What do you think about? Um, about the character of, of, of Spock, about uh, Leonard Nimoy in particular. I mean, this is a guy who, in kind of nerd culture, if there's a nerd Mount Rushmore, there's no, there's nothing more prominent than his pointy ears carved in stone. In, I mean, maybe F- Gandalf. I mean, who from nerd? I guess Darth Vader. I mean, who from Star Wars? Han Solo, I guess. I don't know. So he gets kind of murky with... But Spock is kind of the guy if you had to pick one guy for nerds right and nowadays nerds are cool allegedly but <laughs> but, but for years it wasn't the case, and if there was one guy, I like, oh, yeah, guys the Spock, you know Yoda Spock, you know that. What I mean, what, what oh. does does the guy get on your
0: nerves a little bit? Is he too perfect? Is he too oh, logical? No, he has never gotten on my nerves. <laughs> and even what you know, first of all, he's just so tall. Like, what a beautiful actor, <laughs> yeah. you know that this yeah. tall figure, and even with like the pants tucked into the little boots, how they make that work? I don't know. Because Sometimes you see that look in real life, and you are like, mm, I don't know. But he pulled it off. For, yeah, it works. You know, it, it maybe with those long legs. I don't know, but he, the the thing about him is, if, if if you're a a woman or a gay man who has ever dated a guy who does not feel at all comfortable talking about his feelings,
1: yes, ah.
0: then you you sort of know, like you learn to watch for certain signals. And I think the great thing about Spock as a character is. He really teaches you to look for those signals because he drops them. As we know, he drops them all. Yeah, there's yeah. always this one where he says, "This is not logical," but then you see there's just like <laughs> that little flicker of you know, yeah, the the human yeah you know, side coming out, and so you're like, ah, ah, I just saw it, you're, you know. Now I have something to work with.
1: Yeah, and yeah.
0: and I don't know. I mean, I. I don't know if that's, like, the only reason I've always loved that character, but it just... I, that's something great. that resonated
1: with you. Well, you know, it's funny because um, Vulcans and Spock, you know, the, the the official story is, you know, humor. You know, what is this humor that you humans do? The guy's hysterical. I mean, on <laughs> well, the original show also, he's always... Te- like, you never quite know it's a joke the first time, or when you're a kid, anyhow. you watch it, it's like, oh... This guy's zinging him right now, and you don't really realize it. He's always, always, always making jokes, and um, that, you know, in 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 Star Trek lore, it's because he's half human or whatever. But even the later Vulcans, Tuvok, is all is all human, but he too likes to zing Catherine Janeway a little bit now and then. Um, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of shticky humor, not so much in Wrath of Khan. I'm trying to think. Maybe a little bit here and there. It's all in the eyebrow raises and kind of the glances and whatnot. What? There's a, a lot of, like, a little bit of Borscht Bell humor going on between between him and Kirk.
0: Well, oh, and at the beginning where Spock has given him the book, A Tale of Two Cities. Yeah. And, you know, he quotes the, well, you know, the, the line from it and yeah. says, oh, are you trying to set, give me a message? And Spock says, <laughs> only if you want to. Read it that way, or something like that. It's just kind of, of course, we know that there yeah. is a uh, you know message being imparted by Spock giving him this book. But yeah, he's a little like
1: yeah. Oh, are you I know that? I'm Vulcans <laughs> are passive aggressive. Is that what we've discovered here? My God, a
0: little. Well, like yeah. I said, if you've ever dated a guy, <laughs> yeah, whatever.
1: That's a good point. That's a good point. You know, there there is there's a lot of quoting of uh, of big books. Milton, Dickens, yeah. a lot of Moby Dick. I mean, it's, it's, if you're going to go big, yeah, go big or go home, right? This is a big movie. Khan is going sh- to quote Moby Dick as he's dying and bleeding out of his head. So, you know, <laughs> what else are you going to do? What else are you going to do? Well, listen, um, I think we're just about out of time. I mean, we, we could just talk about the great scenes from Wrath of Khan all day long. But um, I don't want to keep you here on Deck 44 too long. But I do want to <laughs> thank you for coming in. Um, if you have any final final thoughts you want to get to anything specific that um, what didn't you like about this movie? You can't just have loved everything.
0: Well, I pretty much love everything. Wow, okay. I mean, I and I I love I love that it works it works on its own. I mean, yeah. it really you really don't need to know anything about yeah. it. And I think that's one thing that people who really really love the the show and have watched all of the subsequent yeah. you know, series and and the you know, the, the one um, disadvantage that you have if you're that like ingrained in the whole universe is that you can't see how beautifully it works. Just doesn't want to
1: Right, right. That's a really good point because I watched it again uh, this week. Um, For me, it was the 800th time, but I, I watched again and was thinking about it um, from a, what if you didn't know anything? Um, would it still work? And it absolutely would. I mean and and nobody on the planet is gonna not know so you're gonna know Kirk is the cowboy and Spock is the wise and you know, wise guy, but not wise guy, but wise guy. Um, and um, it uh, it really does. it really it really is its own thing. The title is is uh, is in a way misleading It doesn't have to be part two, uh, which is rare because I and I do think later Star Trek films, You know, if you just come in, just parachute in, it's going to be like this... Not that you can't follow it. I mean, all these Marvel films, you could follow any of them, but it may not have the same resonance. And usually, if there's something you don't get, it's because it's a joke because you don't know that character. Like, if you... The new Spider-Man, which is out any day now, um, and this is not too big of a spoiler, but uh, Captain America shows up in it and does something funny for a minute. Um, And if you haven't seen the Captain America movies... It's not You're not going to laugh, but it's also 10 seconds, 15 seconds, you know? It doesn't really yeah. matter to the story. So um, I think most of these connected things is different from TV where it's, if it's season three, episode six, and you go, oh, let's turn this on now, you can't. The TV landscape, I think, now is really, I don't want to say difficult because working in a uranium mine is difficult. You know, watching <laughs> yeah. television is not difficult. But I mean, there are these shows that you hear about that you would love to watch. You know, I would love to watch... Uh, whatever, get on you know, the Americans. I hear is very good. You can't just turn it on one day. You got to go back and watch the first four years. You know.
0: Yeah, and and the one thing that the Wrath of Khan does really well, I think, is it gets you up to speed on caring about those characters pretty quickly, even if yeah. you don't know. I mean, again, I knew them and I had fondness for them, so maybe I can't even accurately say that. But if if I were to really look at how those early scenes are dramatized. I would say it's laid out pretty clearly. Yeah, yeah like yeah. You, you know, like you were saying, where the loyalties are, and what, and obviously Kirk's crisis of, mm-hmm. you know, I'm getting oh, oh What am I doing? Um, you know, all of that like resonates, and it's it's actually very carefully put together so that it works emotionally. I think. Yeah,
1: yeah, you know, and um, the the of the new reboots, um, of which I'm by and large very fond of. I love. I think the first one works very well. I love the third one, the most recent one. Um, and then the one in the middle tries to mirror Wrath of Khan to an extent. The last time I watched Star Trek Into Darkness, because um, at first I didn't really like it, then I watched it again recently, last summer when the f- new one came out. They did a screening of all three together at the at the IMAX. And I kind of came to terms with it again. I said, ah, I like Star Trek Into Darkness. It's fine, you know, it's propulsive, it's energetic, it looks cool, there's a lot of the jokes land. Uh, you know, I'm over the fact that the central conflict doesn't make any sense and it's stupid that they brought Khan back or whatever I'm like ah, it's fine I like it again when I watch Wrath of Khan again this week man I hate Star Trek Into Darkness now. <laughs> like why did they bother why did they bother trying to hate that what a dumb idea what a dumb I'm not supposed to say that on the Star Trek pockets but it really it was just that they did the that movie Star Trek Into Darkness is the best possible movie you could make out of a really dumb idea it's not totally worthless it's still part of our thing it's part of the canon and we we there are many, many things in it to like. You like how I'm backpedaling right now? There are a <laughs> lot of a lot of great but I mean it. There are a lot of great things in there to like. But ultimately, they should have gone a different way. And when you watch Wrath of Khan again, it does make you much like Kirk in the Genesis planet, it makes you want to raise your fist and shout a little bit. So <laughs> anyway. Um you agree, Brian? Yes, I do. Uh, <laughs> I was I
2: was gonna say before uh, you you were talking about it standing as a standalone film, yeah, and, uh, and you know you're not really needing to see the original uh, the episode. Uh, yeah, I mean Space Seed. But, yeah. but uh, I think it it skirts a fine line because there are certain little details there that kind of add to it a little bit, like um, you know when when Chekhov is is sees the, uh, the the belt on the wall, it and says and it says says Bay. yeah, Bay. and like I think that adds a little weight to it, yeah, and um. And also, when he's talking about his wife, like I actually had forgotten that um, his wife, Marlon mcgivers yeah, w- was from Starfleet. Like you reminded me that while we're recording here, I think that definitely adds some some emotional weight to uh, to Khan, yeah, and his and, and his um, you know desire for revenge. Oh,
1: it's definitely extra flavoring that that do, that only adds to it. But what's great about the movie is it's not like we're saying it's not a requirement. It's you not, know? yeah, absolutely not. And I, th- I think that's what some of these. You know, eventually, there. I don't know, I'd have to really do a a frame and a look at each one of the Marvel films. I think they're doing that, too. Uh, Like, you don't really need to know. Like, can you just jump into Civil War? Maybe you can't. I don't know. Can you enjoy Captain America Civil War if you've never seen any of the other ones? Probably not. That's hard because I've seen all of them as they, I came, know, they come yeah, out. Just so, yeah, just, I, just, well, I haven't
2: seen one out of sequence, really. So I don't know.
0: I've seen all of them, but I'm kind of an amnesiac. when it comes. Right, you to forget. That, like, I yeah. forget what happened in the last one. Oh, yeah, at the end, they all got yeah. together and they fought a big machine <laughs> thing with <laughs> rays coming out of his eyes. And then I'm like, okay, so yeah. what, what are we going to do now?
1: Well, you know, it's <laughs> funny. I went and saw the new Planet of the Apes, the third one, uh, the third of the new ones. And as I'm sitting down, I realized that I had... And I liked... I remember liking the second one, but I didn't remember a damn thing. And I turned to uh, our colleague, and she's been a guest on the show, Alison Wilmore, who you know very well. I said to her, wait, wait, wait. I remember I liked the second one, but what the hell happened? And she's like, I don't remember. She's like, I don't know. Apes man fought, I think. I don't know. And then the movie (laughs) starts, and eh, you realize, you know, it's not like... um, you know, there are some things that you really... Like, you know, Game of Thrones is one of the new shows that I that I do kind of watch. And that one, you really do need to have your chart out there. Otherwise, you're oh, lost. Yeah. I mean, you need that family tree. But for some of these, uh, they know what they're doing. You know, they, that's a general rule. You really don't need to, to know everything. So, I don't know. Have you seen Game of Thrones at all? Yeah. No, I it's know. a not It's a big, know. tall... Ask it's it's a yeah. it's an investment of time. I'm behind on I it. Then I
0: realized, yeah, I would. I have to start watching from the beginning.
1: You that one you would that yeah. one you would, and um, we've gone off topic, but that sometimes happens on this show. My my wife uh, just will say, "Who is this bearded guy again?" And I go, "Oh, this is um, this is um," and then you hit pause and you go to Wikipedia, and that's kind of no way to watch a television show. But for that one, I make the exception because it is the rewards are there, but it is like. It's a little bit of schoolwork, you know. Yeah, I mean, especially if you read those books too. Like, oh hell the, no, i will never read They're a thousand pages. I
2: got <laughs> no. not. You know. one of those books is bigger than the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, but, <laughs> but if, if I I've read them and reread them, so like oh you, you see like yeah. some of the plotting like they did,
1: and then like how oh, far yeah. back they go is ridiculous. Oh, I'm sure that those books are marvelous, but if I, you know, I've never actually finished a Brothers Karabazov, So if I'm gonna read a thousand page book of rich lore and stuff you know i'm gonna do that one first you know you give me a look like what the hell you gotta read brother (laughs) Paramazzo. what's wrong with
0: you no no i haven't read it either i'm thinking (laughs) the same thing i'm like
1: i started that one twice i liked it but it's thick and long and i you know i i'd like to consider myself a bright guy i'm sure i could finish it but uh so that's what i because there have been times that i'm like oh maybe i should read the game of thrones books be i like the show everybody likes it like oh god give me a break (laughs) It's ridiculous. And I have to read my Star Trek tie-in novels also, of which I'm behind of Oh, my God. They <laughs> pump out one a month for 30 years. Uh, and now they're going to start doing ones for Discovery, too. That's true. Well, we, we know uh, David Mack. David Mack. Yeah. That's right. So, so, you know. All right. Uh, well, thanks for joining the Game of Thrones podcast. Yes, you have a... One last question. I feel like we can't talk about
2: The Wrath of Khan without talking about one of his most famous oh, scenes. Oh, The Scream. The Scream. So, uh, your thoughts. Is, is it a perfect example of dramatic expression, or is it over the top? <laughs> The
1: con scream, Shatner I'm in fi- the in yeah
0: yeah I'm fine with it yeah I'm fine with it you know it's funny it it, it that doesn't strike me as like you know strange or yeah. it it's 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 operatic it's the it became coded
1: as scenes. overacting after the fact I think at the time it was fine and then later it became the ground zero of Shatner the overactor <laughs> and it was parodied on Seinfeld. Right, and I think it was That's after right. the Seinfeld parody that it became a thing, and now they're like T-shirts of him shouting "Con" and whatnot. But um, and 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 we can close on this. Uh, so the big moment, the big Con, which now at the Star Trek conventions, there actually uh, have been, and I've actually conducted these <laughs> experiments uh, where people will come up and try to do their best Con. Like, the fans will come up and scream, Khan, and then say, who thinks it's the guy in the red shirt? Who thinks it's this woman here? So, um, but if you think about the moment in the film, if you've seen the movie a hundred times, you know that in that sequence, when Kirk is down on the planet and Khan's listening in, he knows he's listening in, which is why he and Spock have been speaking in code. Hours will seem like days, right? So, he knows that people are listening in. So, this is what I once asked Nicholas Meyer in an interview in February of 2012 Lo, those many years ago. Quotes, I'm quoting myself. When you see the movie for the first time, you believe that Kirk really thinks he is trapped. When you see it the second time, you realize that he knows he has worked out a plan with Spock back on the Enterprise and they are working on a way to rescue him. Therefore, he has to perform, as it were, for Khan. He has to convince Khan that Khan has truly bested him so he will leave, so Spock can then come back and save the day. Therefore, the somewhat, quote, over the top line reading that has become legendary is actually quite savvy because Kirk has to get Khan to think, yes. Did that level of thinking go into the line reading, I asked Nicholas Meyer, or am I just babbling incoherently to you? To which Nicholas Meyer said, you are babbling incoherently to me. So there you go, and with that, I want to thank Stephanie for coming on the show today. This was a blast. Um, you can read Stephanie's work in Time Magazine, week to week, where she reviews the current cinema and writes about, occasionally interviews uh, directors and actors. And just had a great interview with um, Sofia Coppola a few weeks ago. And uh, you. you know, uh, you know and, and in all honesty, now I'm gonna now I'm gonna uh, kiss Stephanie's rear end a little bit. The truth of the matter is, I never read any other reviews of movies until I've written my own, obviously. And I write a movie or movie review and then everybody goes up on the same day. And then when it's up and I and I go, okay, people have written their review. The first one I check is yours because I want to go for a number of reasons. One, I enjoy your writing, obviously. And two, I have to say, I like this or I didn't like this. I have to make sure that Stephanie feels the same way. And when sure. we disagree, which is rarely... But it happens once in a blue moon. I then have to take a little walk around the block and go, what What did I, I don't wanna say get wrong oh. get right. I wanna say, <laughs> oh, no. say, I wanna I, say, I. it's not, never that. It's like, hmm, there's something in it that connected differently and I'm curious about it and I wanna learn from that a little bit. You know, it's not, it's never a right or wrong thing but it's like, because usually you're you're, you're right all the time. And and we agree. Which also means that we're crazy because we frequently disagree with everybody else. <laughs> yep. Let's get that right out of the way. There's few critics out there that gets more hate mail than you. Uh, which means, by extension, I'm also wrong. But occasionally we do disagree and it's always fascinating to me how we disagree with something. So, uh, oh, you know.
0: That's that's the loveliest compliment anyone wow. has ever given me. Seriously. yeah.
1: Well, it's true. So we can read your work in Time Magazine every week. One can follow you on Twitter and send you hate tweets. Yeah. It's your it, it, first initial last name, yeah, right?
0: Yeah, it's at S is a Herrick. So. And
1: the spelling of that last name is, is?
0: Z as in zebra, A, C as in cat, H-A-R-E-K.
1: <laughs> awesome, cool. All right, well, thanks again for coming on the show, and we will see you all next week with a new episode.